Mexico last year and also the first half of this year. We were really on our path to profitable growth in the company and we launched a new strategy end of 2018. And 18 and 19, we were growing again. We had eight consecutive quarters of, um, of improved bottom line results. So we were all very excited about starting 2020 and we had a good backlog, plenty of work in the pipeline. And then suddenly, when we were actually in the process of finalizing our refinancing early 2020 in February, COVID hit Europe. And I still recall, I was in London talking to some investors and then you see the news coming through on your uh, mobile phone. And then within a week, the complete world has changed. So suddenly you're in the valley again, very abruptly, and you have to deal with this situation. Welcome to Planet Beyond Podcast, brought to you by Fugro, the leading partner in delivering geodata from the greatest subsea depths right to outer space. And hosted by me, John Baston Pitt. Now, the voice you just heard is Fugro CEO Mark Heiner talking about an unexpected moment in history when COVID 19 began to rampage across Europe. And in this episode, we're going to learn how his first love, mountaineering, has equipped him with the skills to manage difficult challenges such as this. Because what people do outside work, is just as important as what we do in work. Mark, weren't you just a boy of 10 when you conquered your first summit? Yeah, John, uh, my first climbing moves were actually done in, in the Belgium rocks, uh, as you said, when I was 10 years old. And, and my parents, they were planning to take the family to the Swiss Alps and, and, and book the course to, to learn about mountaineering and, and to, yeah, to understand how to cross glaciers in a safe manner. Uh, and, and part of that uh, course, there was also this, this weekend in the Belgium rocks. And, um, and that's where I got hooked uh, immediately. Uh, and I, I, still, I still recall uh, in, in those days, there were no proper harnesses, uh, mm. climbing harnesses. Uh, so. So you would climb with your heavy mountaineering boots. Uh, you can imagine with red uh, strings on it and, uh, and, and only a harness around your chest. Uh, and then you use your, your hands and feet to um, secure by rope, uh, not using it, although to, to move up. My father and I were with this lead climber. And I, I still recall that, that my father actually uh, dropped out in the first pitch. So that's a uh, pitch is 40 meters of rope length. And, and I, was, uh, I was continuing because uh, yeah, the, the summit was uh, three times 40 meters high. And, and I reached the summit without my father there, uh, obviously feeling like a hero. And I was, in, I was immediately hooked, uh, <laughs> hooked to the climbing. Were you the only member of the family who made it to the top? Eventually, yes. I, uh, my brother, uh, who is one and a half years older, and my sister is a little bit younger. And my mother were there as well. But it's fair to say it's, it probably appealed more to me than, uh, than to them. Having said that, I think uh, my brother also continued. And I still recall when he went to secondary school, he was a little bit older. Um, he could join a, a climbing group and, uh, and went to Belgium Rocks again. And I was so jealous. I, was, I still recall I was probably uh, 10, 11 years old. 
And, uh, and I was tremendously jealous uh, of him that he could go, together with my mother, by the way, supporting that, uh, that uh, camp. And this was just the beginning, wasn't it? So the years thereafter, we went every summer to, to the Alps to, yeah, to do more hiking in the Alps, uh, to say, cross some glaciers, uh, uh, go to some summits. But uh, I, I was really more fanatic on, on the steep climbing and the more technical climbing, which really interested me. And, um, and, and, and that, yeah, that developed over time. And of course, when you were old enough to go to secondary school, you could join the climbing group that, that your brother went to. But I can't help but notice that the Netherlands is rather flat. So if you want to go to the rocks, you have to go to Germany, Luxembourg, Belgium, an hour and a half drive at least, or two hours drive. So yeah, if you're young, that's not so easy. But, um, but we, we would go twice a week to these indoor climbing walls. And this is just seven meters high, 10 meters wide, very yeah, immature, I would say, the sport uh, in those days. Uh, and we would go there uh, yeah, just to train. And, and that rolled into, in the weekends or holidays, we would go with older uh, uh, climbers uh, to, to the rocks in Germany, Luxembourg or France uh, for long weekends or holidays. And then, and then it started with competition climbing because you also had the competition climbing coming up in the, in the Netherlands as in many other countries. And I, I joined the Dutch national youth uh, competition uh, there. Right. And yeah, my, but really my passion was in, in, in the outdoor climbing in the real rocks. Uh, so I started also to do alpine courses. So to really go to the, Alp, uh, to the Alps, uh, probably when I was 15, 16, also to, uh, to, yeah, to be able to climb with my own friends. And, and my parents were obviously a little bit uh, frightened about that idea, but, uh, but they knew also how serious their son was and, and how well I would, would plan and organize these things. I know that you turned to a particular book for inspiration, didn't you? Um, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Probably around the age of 15, I, I bought a book in, in a book sale uh, only for 10 guilders, and uh, that, that is less than 5 euros, probably people don't know what a guilder is anymore, a Dutch guilder, but uh, let's say less than 5 euros, uh, with all the greatest climbs and, and climbing areas in the USA, uh, written by a Swiss uh, mountain guide, uh, Roman Vogler, and, um, and, and I read that book many, many times, and I dreamt about going there one day, and, and, and yeah, probably repeat his journey. Do you still have that book? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and it has been a lifeline for me for many, many years. Uh, so, so I have been reading it uh, when I was studying at Delft University. I expanded my climbing experience, not only rock, but also alpine climbing, as I mentioned, but also winter climbing, mixed climbing, frozen waterfalls. I had an expedition to the Himalayas in China. I probably climbed uh, in, in more than 35 countries on all continents uh, in the world eventually, from Alaska, Canada, South Africa, Jordan, Russia, China, and, and close to 20 European countries. But I also started to climb Big Wall, and that, that was what I actually um, uh, thought uh, was so interesting of that book, uh, because they were talking about and showing some routes in the big walls in the USA. And there's a, yeah, the climbing Walhalla there is, uh, is the California National Park there, uh, Yosemite, where you have these big rock faces. Is big wall a term that refers to a, a type of face? 
Yeah, it, it is. Uh, it is a type of climbing. So, so you, you right. talk about big wall climbing. If you cannot use your hand and feet anymore to get higher up on the on on the face. So you use climbing equipment to really fix something into the wall to get you higher up. And it takes a very long time. Uh, and you have, as I said, in in Yosemite, some of these faces that are impossible to free climb. We know all these movies that are now on TV where people are even soloing or, or, or free climbing El Capitan. But uh, in, in, in most of the routes there, you cannot free climb. You have to use uh, equipment. And, and we, we wanted to do some of those, uh, those routes as well. And so I had to learn how to big wall climb. And, and that, is, that is complex because sometimes you spend days and days on the wall. Days and days on the wall? This throws up lots of questions about everything, really. How, how do you eat and, and sleep and, and, well, go to the toilet? Well, <laughs> that's interesting. But okay. you spend five, five days in, in the route, so um, yeah. you have to know what you do. You need to be super determined because only 10% of the people that start these routes actually reach the summit. So, so you, reach, you, you, sleep, you sleep in the wall. On, on a stretcher uh, that, that you basically uh, yeah, hang, hang off the wall, um, which is dangling there. Uh, you, you shouldn't move too much uh, because then it's obviously flipping around uh, because it's just dangling from one point uh, fixed to the rock because the rock is so steep that you will not stand for five days. So you hang in your harness or sit on the stretcher at the end of the day. This doesn't sound very relaxing. I really look forward, by the way, to that stretcher, to that portal ledge at the end of the day. So, and, and, and it's comfortable if, if once you're in your sleeping bag and you have your, um, your, your, your cooking pot hanging because you cannot, yeah, there's nothing to, to put your, uh, your cooking stove on. So you also have to hang it off the wall. I can't even begin to get my head around this. I imagine that you'd have an energy bar or something. You're, you're telling me that you're you're whipping up a cup of tea or something. Yes, and, and some warm food and, uh, and some fruits. Uh, because, yeah, if you spend five days in the wall, you need to bring everything along. So we have probably 150 kilos of equipment, water, drinks uh, and food that we had to um, yeah, haul up the wall. So you have these big bags that you, you haul along with you. And then, yeah, you only make 200 meters a day. And, uh, and, and the whole face is, is, is a kilometer high. So it's, it's hard work. So, and this is a question I never thought I'd ask the CEO of our business. How do you lighten your load, if you get my drift? Yeah, that's a bit awkward, I must say, because you obviously, yeah, some things are easy, some things are less easy, as you can imagine. But um, you're, you're there on that stretcher, which is two meters wide, and, and uh, or long and, and one meter wide with your friend. And then one, one says, yeah, I, I, I actually need a little bit of private time. And, it, and the other one says, okay, I will turn around and look the other way. And then, and then you have to relax and, and, and do your thing. Then you collect that in a paper bag and then in a plastic bag, and then you put it in yeah, what we call, because you cannot throw it down. So years before, everybody was throwing it down the wall, which was obviously becoming a mess. So you have to carry it along and actually you have to show it at the end to the park rangers uh, what you brought, brought out of the wall. But you put it in a, in, in a, uh, 
yeah, a, a tube that you fabricated yourself. Uh, we called it the poop tube. And, and you put some uh, kitten litter in there just for the smell uh, and, 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 and the moist, obviously, it creates. So I can give you more details, but probably we should stop here. I have no problem with moving on. Let's talk about risk. Because you mentioned free solo earlier, is scaling a mountain without ropes something that you would do? No, I, I think I need to be honest there. Uh, m- mountaineering is a sport of climbing mountains. That, that is, that is uh, clear. And, and, and we all seek for adventure. And that's also what, what I really uh, are appealed to. Uh, but some, some made their profession out of it and, and they start to do crazy things. And Alex Honnold is, by the way, an amazing climber. And he knows every small crack on the, on the route that he climbed in that, in that movie. He's done it over and over again. He knows what he's doing. Nevertheless, I have seen so many climbers that uh, uh, push it too far uh, because eventually there's no way out other than yeah, simply pushing the boundaries even more and get more attention or uh, yeah, to please their desire for more adventure. Uh, and as they do it yeah, the, the whole day, this becomes more risky. And, and many good climbers have lost their life on easier parts of routes, on the descents. And even the, the, the writer of this book, Roman Vogler, uh, my example there for, for many, many years, the Swiss mountain guide, super experienced, made a mistake abseiling down after a climb in, in the Swiss Alps. A mistake that cost him his life. Yeah, v- very sad, was completely unnecessary. But it's, um, yeah, it's uh, so clear that mountains are yeah, a real-world training ground, you could say, where, where making a wrong decision or doing something wrong can lead to injury or death. And uh, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a successful but unforgiving teacher. You've mentioned climbing with friends a couple of times now. What role does teamwork play in reducing risk and, and keeping you on the, on the right path? Yeah, you, you always need at least one other uh, climber, unless you're climbing solo like a- Alex Honnold. Uh, um, uh, he doesn't need anybody because he has no rope. But normally I would always climb, uh, normally I would always climb with a rope. And m- the majority of the time I would be free climbing, which means uh, I use my hand and feet and the rope is to secure myself. Uh, I don't use the rope to go higher up. Unless you go for the big wall climbing I just described, then you use also the equipment. But with free climbing, so to say, you always need somebody that holds the rope, that belays you and, uh, and, and keeps it uh, secure. Uh, so you're at least with two, uh, um, the two of you. Uh, but you can go with another person. If it becomes more than three, it becomes a little bit more cumbersome. And then you can better make two groups and say, OK, you climb that route, we climb this route, or we climb after each other. So that, that works as well. And... Teamwork is extremely important. I always had a very strong feeling that I would only go into difficult routes with the people that I know very well. And um, I, I've been very lucky. Uh, I'm climbing for yeah many years now with the same people. Uh, even uh, a month ago, I went to uh, the Austrian Alps, Alps for, for a long weekend uh, to climb with uh, four friends of mine. Uh, and... Is super because you know them inside out and we're still all pretty fit so we can do nice things together in a super safe manner 
and can enjoy the climbing. And that's really important. Teamwork is important. And you also, you, you actually combine teamwork with a battle that you have with yourself because you try to overcome a very difficult step or a very difficult route. And that is something that you have to completely do yourself. Your friend is yeah, there to yeah. belay you, but you yeah. have to climb it. And if you can't, then yeah, obviously you have to switch uh, and, uh, and the other one can try. But um, yeah, this is the fun of it, I think. Yeah, a lovely balance between the individual challenge and the support that you get from working as a team. Wonderful. Let's just drill down a little bit further on those difficult moments. Do you have any difficult moments, situations, incidents that you could share with us, which just brings the gravitas of what, what you're doing to the fore? Yeah, I, the, these things are always difficult to talk about because you're, you're not necessarily proud of, uh, of what you might have done wrong or where you put yourself in danger. But I, I, was, I recall a number of events, but, but let me refer to, to one that is very striking. And I think I was 20, 22 years old or so when I climbed with a friend, the, um, yeah, it's called the Gespaltenhorn Northeast face, and it's uh, in the Swiss Alps. It's also called the Forgotten Eiger face, and Eiger is, uh, is, uh, is quite known as, um, as uh, being one of the biggest and the most difficult faces uh, to climb in, um, in the Alps. Uh, but there's another mountain around the corner, it's difficult to reach, and it has the same stretch, it's close to two kilometers high. Things took an unexpected turn, didn't they? And the reason for that was that we were faced with very unpredicted super severe weather and i think it's probably still described in the in in that particular year as something that uh, suddenly popped up and these things happen in the mountains but i spoke to other climbers that were in the mountains and uh, very experienced uh, climbers and nobody actually expected that uh, that weather to uh, to turn around so quickly but we had heavy rain and the rocks were flying down obviously and you have to imagine you really hear them so flying down next to your head and uh, so very dangerous uh, but also uh, lightning was hitting the rocks next to you so you just saw the lightning uh, hitting the rocks and we were yeah in pretty difficult terrain running almost climbing uh, of climbing obviously but running at the same time on on the vertical face uh, to to find uh, safety there and we we found a very tiny cave where we spent the night and it only yeah, actually only fitted one person. The other one was half uh, uh, falling out, but uh, obviously we were close together and uh, spent the night there, completely wet. And the next day we, we, we reached the summit, it calmed down and everybody was looking for us. So we had friends at the, at the campground, obviously being very worried uh, because you certainly don't want to be in a, in, in a phase like that uh, during this weather. There was a helicopter sent out uh, to uh, search for us and the mountain guide that was running the cabin uh, was actually quite relaxed. He was super proud of us and, uh, and complimented us on the fact that we climbed the route. And he said, this is, uh, yeah, 10 years ago, the, that was the last time that the route was climbed. So um, he complimented us, gave us great food. And he said, well done, guys. And, uh, and, and, and yeah, we walked down, just missing the helicopter, by the way that was actually uh, touching down on, on the cabin also to check if, uh, if we um, were safe. And, mm. uh, and the helicopter flew down to the campground in the valley and landed on the, on the campground and actually told our friends, okay, 
the climbers are safe, they're on the way down. So the weather was out of your control, wasn't it? But your planning, your preparation, your teamwork, your experience allowed you to manage the risk that you faced. Exactly. So you need to be prepared on, on many different things that could happen. So you obviously need to think about your skill is very important. So you need to be able to use your skill in uh, yeah, unpredicted situations. So you can make a plan, but only a plan is, is not good enough. You need to actually work out what are the scenarios that you could uh, to actually follow if something goes wrong or if the weather hits us, what are we going to do? We knew about this small tiny cave in, in, right. in the face yeah. and we knew we need to go another 150 meters higher up, a little bit to the right, and then we can find uh, uh, safety there. Without that knowledge, that preparation, you could have gone in a completely different direction. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, danger never takes a day off, um, obviously, and, and it will, uh, will be there uh, before you know. Thinking about your role as CEO, how has mountaineering helped you face unexpected challenges at work? I think a really good example there is, yeah, the last period we went through with the company, uh, 2020, so last year, and also the first half of this year. We were really on our path to profitable growth in the company and we launched a new strategy end of 2018 and 18 and 19 we were growing again we had eight consecutive quarters of um, of improved bottom line results so we were all very excited about starting 2020 and we had a good backlog plenty of work in the pipeline and then suddenly when we were actually in the process of finalizing our refinancing early 2020 in February, COVID hit, hits Europe. And I still recall, I was in London talking to some investors and then you see the news coming through on your uh, mobile phone. And then within a week, the complete world has changed. So suddenly you're in the valley again. You were on one of the four summits and uh, um, uh, the, the initial summits to climb that path to profitable growth. And now you're suddenly back in the valley very abruptly. And you have to deal with, um, with this situation, which is obviously reacting very quickly. So what did you do? We pulled the team together and we had reorganized our top team in Fugro, uh, the executive leadership team, which was fantastic because we can bring them together very quickly. And we took some very strict decisions on, okay, this is what we need to do and where we have to step in. Very comparable to a situation you would have maybe uh, during your mountaineering trip. If something goes wrong, you have to take decisions and be firm on, uh, on how to move on. I think this is a great example of where I experienced it and where I also felt myself, I really had to overcome the emotional hurdle in the weekend and in the week thereafter it took me probably two or three weeks to adjust myself okay we're now down in the valley again and we need to start organizing ourselves and work on this so we were really yeah all going through that emotional change and then you have to pick up again and say okay no problem we go up for the next summit there and the main summit will probably follow thereafter or maybe thereafter but we have to stick to it. But the sun does come out. Let's flip this around. Tell us about some of your best experiences. The peaks. 
Yeah, there's there, there are so many, and and I think the nicest things are obviously um, I described uh, to you the trip uh, to the USA, where I followed this uh, Swiss uh, Swiss uh, mountain guide, uh, basically explaining all all the best uh, routes that he climbed in in those years, and and that was a super nice trip. I went there for three three months, uh, one month in Yosemite, one 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 month with a friend of two friends of mine. And we climbed so many beautiful things and we climbed every day. So there was always climbing. So three months in a row, 90 days, there was no day going by without uh, feeling the rocks. And that is super, super nice. But the teamwork, the friendships that you build up during these trips is uh, is actually more valuable. And obviously we still rely on those. And uh, that is uh, um, very nice. As I said, I still go out with these friends to uh, to do some climbing. So we're very close. And the enjoyment doesn't always come from reaching the peak. What about those other moments? Other moments where you say, okay, I have not reached the summit, but I've taken the right decision to actually turn around. And and then you talk about, okay, what is success and what is no success or unsuccessful or successful? And I think um, I always be uh, have been very clear on that. Uh, you are successful. If, if you actually return safely, that is very important. So when, when I was trying to climb a new route on a, on a mountain in, in India, in the Indian uh, Himalayas um, in, in 2006, it was, I think, then, then we were 150 meters short of reaching the summit. And we were sleeping also there in the middle of, of, the, of the face. We only had a small ledge and we were sleeping bags outside and we woke up and there was five centimeters of snow on top of our uh, sleeping bags and it was still snowing very heavily and we thought at that moment in time if we continue to the summit we probably reach it but we don't know if there's then 10 or 15 centimeters of snow and we still have to descend for more than one day so we better turn around here and and we have been working towards that summit for probably one and a half years and then uh, a month of work to get the equipment high up in the mountain uh, to uh, yeah the higher camps uh, installed and then do the final stretch to the summit and then you're 150 meters short but i went back home and i felt yeah successful because i had a great time this is so important isn't it how we mentally compartmentalize experiences and how we frame it as a success because the pressure of having planned for a year and a half is immense. But to frame it the way that you've just framed it is a real big life and work lesson, isn't it? Yeah, I think, I think you, need, you need to also not take yourself too, too serious in, in these, uh, these things. It's not at all worth it to lose your life over trying to climb a mountain or a particular route and, and to become yeah, more known about having done that. I have not been talking about a lot of things that I have been doing. It is that you, you bring it up, that you want to talk to me about it, and that's, and that's great, and I, I like it. But I think you have to show some modesty there. Uh, also, uh, in, in work life, that is super important, I believe, uh, and, and being humble and realize that a lot of things that can, can happen and, and you have a responsibility yeah, to your surroundings as well. I have a family. Uh, I cannot take that risk and I have to be maybe super passionate about uh, I'm, I'm super passionate about mountaineering and climbing and my children also climb um, and 
and that's all fine. But there's a limit uh, because uh, it's not ruling your life completely. There are so many other things. Let's reflect for a moment on how it feels to be on the mountain. Take us inside your head. How does it feel when everything goes right and you get to the top? I think probably the journey is more important towards the summit. Nevertheless, uh, it is painful very often. So, so you're exhausted very often, you're, you're tired, your muscles are painful. Uh, so it, it is, it's hard work. So it is, it is obviously a relief when, when you finally achieve something. And it could be if you want to run a, a marathon or a half a marathon and, and you achieve that. Yeah, people know what, what this feeling can be. You worked very hard for it. And that's probably a similar feeling. I have always been very conscious of when I reached the summit to tell myself over and over again, you still need to go down. So it's not over. It's not over. And therefore, I was always, I can only celebrate once I'm back in the camp and relax and, and sit down. So you continuously yeah, feel the tension even when you reach the summit. And there's small joy and, and uh, relief, obviously. But then immediately it switches over in, okay, we need to concentrate. We need to be serious. We still need to go down. This, uh, this uh, uh, has some danger in it as well. We've heard about the importance of staying focused, teamwork, managing risk. What other things have you taken from your mountaineering experiences into the workplace? I think what you see is when you climb mountains, you obviously reach summits, but very often they are not the real summit. The, the main summit is just behind it or even behind that. And you cannot see the main uh, summit yet because it's masked by yeah, all the, all, all the summits before. So you go over summits and you go through valleys and, and then eventually, hopefully, you're, you're trying to reach the, the main summit. Uh, so, so I think it's, it's good to tell yourself, okay, it's, it's very similar in business and trying to reach something in trying to reach certain targets, for instance, financially or with the company uh, to be successful um, in, in a certain um, yeah, strategy that you try to follow is that you will have yeah, valleys that you have to go through. Like a global pandemic. And sometimes the valley is very long and you need to be very determined and, um, and uh, stick to it and, uh, and focus. So, um, and plan very well, organize yourself. Uh, uh, preparation is, is really important. So that, that is something that, that I always uh, um, take away into the business, but there are so many more uh, elements that you can um, uh, obviously use. You can have big dreams in, in, uh, in climbing. As I described with you, I had that book and I knew already for 10 years I want to go uh, to the USA and, and repeat some of these routes. And the same is in business. You can have big dreams and, uh, and don't, don't um, shy away from having big dreams there as well. Because if you don't believe in it and you don't focus and really motivate uh, the team to get there, then, uh, then you will never reach it. One of the key things that, that I, I think is, is maybe really close to me and, uh, and that I learned from, for instance, climbing El Capitan. The, the second time I went there, I spent six days in the wall. And it's uh, very long days. You, you get up when the first light, or not even the first light, because you need to start cooking 
heating uh, water and then when the first light is uh, hitting the wall you basically start climbing and and it's a very long day and you climb till uh, in the evening and then you have to eat and sleep obviously because you have to rest and i it is very difficult in your mind to still know that you have to go five more days or four more days because you're exhausted and and that is what i have said to myself a few times in in work environment as well this is difficult but take it step by step and i think step by step is uh, is really important because i noticed when i finished the first day and i just focused on the second day and the second day is finished i only have three or four, four more days left but let's not think about the four days but only at the third day and that had really helped me to pace and also to uh, to um, to get to the end you use the word focus quite a lot there and by definition to focus you have to be prepared to give something up in reaching a summit whether it's mountaineering or work is there anything that you've had to give up yeah i think if if you are ambitious and i'm ambitious in many different things you will have to accept that it's difficult to be working to a certain level on on a satisfactory level on all these elements you you cannot be a top performer in work and then also be uh, the best climber in the world so to say that's impossible and at the same time a father of two children so you have to accept that at the time that you're focusing maybe for a month or a few weeks on a particular climbing route or a particular focus area that you have in work that you focus on that and that you accept and don't punish yourself for the fact that you will not be uh, top performing on on these other elements and that is i think uh, what i've yeah taught myself is also to accept that there will be periods that you peak on one element and then be down on the other elements and then start to peak on the other elements as well because you have to peak on all the elements that are important to you and actually some of those elements like climbing can also have wider benefits like physical and, and mental health one thing that is really important but when you're really climbing at the time so if i'm training for it or on a rock face i'm only thinking about this it's like meditation so I forget everything else. So for me it's probably the best thing and it's my my own type of meditation. Um it it's the same I have when I create something with my hands when I work with wood or or something else then I also focus on that and I maybe I'm measuring something, cutting the wood or if I climb I'm really focused on which hold do I need to take and um, and secure myself. So it's really great meditation. It's my type of meditation. I even was uh at the doctor uh, because i do these regular medical checks uh, to make sure that i'm not exhausting myself uh, in in this job uh, and the doctor said okay you need to climb more because that's a great meditation for you so don't forget cli- to to climb so the reality is that when you reach a summit at work or on a mountain it can be an enriching and individual experience but is it lonely at the top Yeah that that is obviously something that 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 is commonly known or often said and yeah I have to say it's probably true sometimes you're very lonely even if you work in a team uh, then uh, yeah there's a lot of responsibility on your shoulders and um, and that is uh, and it's not always easy 
but we have great people uh, in Fugro. We have uh, fantastic teams in Fugro that really take um, a big, big part of the load and and do all the work and are really fantastic. That really gives me energy. So that's also how I boost my energy to see the others shine, uh, so to say. And then I can take also, yeah, the moments where it's maybe a bit more tough for myself and and feel lonely is fine. Uh, so again, it's maybe a point where I can say it's okay to be lonely maybe at this moment in time in the company. It's okay to be leading a pitch in climbing and be alone standing three or four meters above your last secure point and think, okay, I need to make this move now. Well, okay, it's up to you. And that's the same in, in business. Uh, that will be fine for me as well, but it's not always easy. Mark, we'd love you to be the very first guest to answer the Planet Beyond question. Imagine there are no constraints, financial, personal, etc. If you could change one thing today in your personal or professional life to ensure we all have a safe and livable world tomorrow, what would it be? It's a difficult question because I can think of so many things that uh, that I would like to do because, uh, as I said, I, uh, I'm ambitious. Uh, um, and I think in Fugro, we are really formulating a strategy and a vision and, and, and moreover, a purpose of creating that safe and livable world. And what I really would like to do is uh, fill in the details there and and get the buy-in from everybody in the company that everybody sees it and i see so many super passionate people working for fugro already and if we're all believing in the same purpose then yeah we we're going to fly in in a way that that we will really achieve uh, something here and people outside of fugro will start to see what fugro can mean and contribute to to a, a more safe and livable planet and um, and that that will be uh, my my goal i would say for the upcoming years uh, to really achieve that and then and then yeah somebody else can bring it to the next level probably but that's my my ultimate goal if people really recognize fugro for playing their part and that's a complex role because we have a very complex uh, energy transition to go through in the, in in this world and a lot of people want to go immediately to the end stage, maybe, and only have solar and wind solutions. And unfortunately, it's not possible. So we have a very complex system and we play an important role uh, in the world together uh, with many other companies to actually yeah, help the world a step further in, in where, where do we need to be and how fast can we go? We should push and, and go faster, but it's a journey also, this is a journey. It's a climbing trip. It's an expedition. It will not be easy. Well, Mark, thank you for taking us into your world. And I think we can see quite clearly how your love of mountaineering has inspired and influenced your work here at Fugro. Planet Beyond has been brought to you by our talented production team, Rebe Media and Fugro. If you enjoy listening to this podcast, find us on all podcast apps and subscribe and share. You will find all episodes on our website, fugro.com, 
and on our social media channels. Don't forget to join us next month. And as always, be safe, be remarkable, be the difference.